Chapter 10 of Tom Swift and His Motorcycle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Chapter 10 Off to Albany. Did you catch him, Tom? asked Mr. Swift eagerly when his son returned but the inventor needed but a glance at the lad's despondent face to have his question answered without words never mind he added there's not much harm done fortunately did he get anything any of your plans or models dad no not as far as i can discover my papers in the shop were not disturbed but it looked as if the turban model had been moved the only thing missing seems to be a sheet of unimportant calculations luckily i had my most valuable drawings in the safe in the house yet that man seemed to be putting papers in his pocket dad maybe he made copies of some of your drawings that's possible tom and i admit it worries me i can't imagine who the man is unless why he's one of the three men i saw in mansburg in the restaurant said tom eagerly two of them tried to get information here and now the third one comes he got away in a motorboat and tom told how the fugitive escaped mr swift looked worried it was not the first time attempts had been made to steal his inventions but on this occasion a desperate and well-organized plan appeared to be on foot what do you think they are up to dad asked tom i think they are trying to get a hold of my turbine motor tom you know i told you that the financiers were disappointed in the turbine motor they bought from another inventor it is not work to get back the money they spent in building an expensive plant they must have a motor that is successful hence their efforts to get control of mine i don't know whether i told you or not but some time ago i refused a very good offer for certain rights in my invention i knew it was worth more the offer came through Smeek and Catch, the lawyers, and when I refused it, they seemed much disappointed. I think now that this same firm and the financiers who have employed them are trying by all the means in their power to get possession of my ideas, if not the invention and model itself. What can you do, Dad? Well, I must think. I certainly must take some means to protect myself. I have had trouble before, but never any like this. I do not think those men would be so unscrupulous. Do you know their names? No, only from the telegram we found, the one which the first stranger dropped. One of them must be Anson Morse. Who the others are, I don't know. But now I must make some plans to foil those sharpers. I may have to call on you for help, Tom and I'll be ready any time you call on me, Dad, responded Tom, drawing himself up. Can I do anything for you right away? No, I must think out a plan. Then I'm going to change my motorcycle a bit. I'll put some more improvements on it. And I will write some letters to my lawyers in Washington and ask their advice. It took Tom the remainder of that day and part of the next to arrange the gasoline and spark control of his machine to his satisfaction. He had made two small levers and some connecting rods. This he did in his own particular machine shop, which was fitted up with a lathe and other apparatus. 
The lathe was run by power coming from a small engine, which was operated by an engineer, an elderly man to whom Mr. Swift had given employment for many years. He was Garrett Jackson, and he kept so close to his engine and boiler room that he was seldom seen outside of it except when the day's work was done. One afternoon, a few days after the unsuccessful chase after the fugitive had taken place, Tom went out for spin on his motorcycle. He found that the machine worked much better and was easier to control. He rode about fifteen miles away from home and then returned. As he entered the yard, he saw, standing on the drive, a ramshackle old wagon drawn by a big mule, which seemed, at the time Tom observed him, to be asleep. I'll wager that's boomerang said Tom aloud, and the mule opened his eyes, wiggled its ears, and started forward. "'Whoa, that boomerang!' exclaimed a voice, and Eradicate Samson hurried around the corner of the house. "'That's just like you,' went on the colored man. "'Boom when you ain't wanted to.' Then, as he caught sight of Tom, he exclaimed, "'Why, if it ain't young Mr. Swift! Good lordy!' But that livery break you done fixed in my wagon suitin' mim fine, and can go down the steepest hill without roping the wheel. Glad of it, replied Tom. Did you come to do some work? Yes, sir, I done did. I found I had some time to spare, and things I uh, might be uh, whitewashing I could do. You see, I live only about two miles from here. Well, I guess you can do a few jobs, said Tom. Wait here. He hunted up his father and obtained permission to set eradicated work cleaning out a chicken house and whitewashing it. The darky was soon at work. A little later, Tom passing saw him putting the whitewash on thick. Eradicate stopped at the sight of Tom and made some curious motions. "'What's the matter, Rad?' asked the young inventor. "'Why, the whitewash done persist in running down the brush handle and into my sleeve. I'm soaking wet from it now. And I has to stop every once in a while because my sleeve gets full. Tom saw what the trouble was. The white fluid did run down the long brush handle in a small rivulet. Tom had once seen a little rubber device on a window cleaning brush that worked well, and he decided to try it for Eradicate. Wait a minute, Tom advised. I think I can stop that for you. The colored man was very willing to take a rest, but it did not last long, for Tom was soon back at the chicken coop. He had a small rubber disc with a hole in the center the size of the brush handle. Slipping the disc over the wood, he pushed it about halfway along, and then, handing the brush back to the negro, told him to try it that way. "'Did you done put a charm on my brush?' asked Eradicate, somewhat doubtfully. "'Yes, a sort of hoodoo charm. Try it now.' The darky dipped his brush in the pail of whitewash, and then began to spread the disinfectant on the sides of the coop near the top. The surplus fluid started to run down the handle, but, meeting the piece of rubber, came no farther and dripped off on the ground. It did not run down the sleeve of Eradicate. Well, I clare to goodness, there certainly am a mighty fine charm, cried the colored man. Yo, so I'm a pert gentleman, all right. Now I can work without stopping to empty my sleeve of lime juice every minute. I certainly oblige to you. You're welcome, I'm sure, replied Tom. I think someday I'll invent a machine for whitewashing, and then— Don't do that! Don't do that! begged Eradicate earnestly. This and making dirt disappear, and my only profession's I got. 
I don't go venting no machine, Mr. Swift. All right, I'll wait until you get rich. <laughs> then you're going to wait a powerful long time, chuckled Eradicate as he went on with his whitewashing. Tom went into the house. He found his father busy with some papers at his desk. Ah, it's you, is it, Tom? asked the inventor, looking up. I was just wishing you would come in. What for, Dad? Well, I have quite an important mission for you. I want you to go on a journey. A journey? Where? To Albany. You see, I've been thinking over matters, and I have been in correspondence with my lawyers in regard to my turbine motor. I must take measures to protect myself. You know I have not yet taken out a complete patent on the machine. I have not done so because I did not want to put my model on exhibition in Washington. I was afraid some of those unscrupulous men would take advantage of me. Another point was that I had not perfected a certain device that goes on the motor. That objection is now removed, and I am ready to send my model to Washington and take out the complete patent. But I thought you said you wanted me to go to Albany. So I do. I will explain. I have just had a letter from Reed and Crawford, my Washington attorneys. Mr. Crawford, the junior member of the firm, will be in Albany this week on some law business. He agrees to receive my model and some papers there and take them back to Washington with him. In this way, they will be well protected. You see, I have to be on my guard, and if I send the model to Albany instead of the national capital, I may throw the plotters off the track, for I feel that they are watching every move I make. As soon as you or I should start for Washington, they would be on our trail. But you can go to Albany unsuspected. Mr. Crawford will wait for you there. I want you to start day after tomorrow. All right, Dad. I can start now if you say so. No, there is no special need for haste. I have some matters to arrange. You might go to the station and inquire about trains to the state capitol. Am I going by train? Certainly. How else could you go? There was a look of excitement in Tom's eyes. He had a sudden idea. Dad, he exclaimed, why couldn't I go on my motorcycle? Your motorcycle? Yes. I could easily make the trip on it in one day. The roads are good, and I would enjoy it. I can carry the model back of me on the saddle. It's not very large. Well, said Mr. Swift slowly, for the idea was a new one to him. I suppose that part would be all right. But you have not had much experience riding a motorcycle. Besides, you don't know the roads. I can inquire. Will you let me go, Dad? Mr. Swift appeared to hesitate. It'll be fine, went on Tom. I would enjoy the trip. And there's another thing. If we want to keep this matter secret, the best plan would be to let me go on my machine. If those men are on the watch, they will not think that I have the model. They will think I'm just going for a pleasure jaunt. There's something in that, admitted Mr. Swift. And Tom, seeing his father was favorably inclined, refuted his arguments until the inventor finally agreed. It will be a great trip, exclaimed Tom. I'll go over my machine now to see that it's in good shape. You get your papers and the model ready, Dad, and I'll take them to Albany for you. The motorcycle will come in handy. But had Tom only known the dangers ahead of him and the risks he was to run, he would not have whistled so light-heartedly 
as he went over every nut and bolt on his machine. Two days later, the valuable model, having been made into a convenient package and wrapped in waterproof paper, was fastened back of the saddle on the motorcycle. Tom carefully pinned in an inside pocket the papers which were to be handed to Mr. Crawford. He was to meet the lawyer at a hotel in Albany. "'Now take care of yourself, Tom,' cautioned his father as he bade him goodbye. "'Don't try to make speed. There is no special rush. And above all, don't lose anything.' "'I'll not, Dad.' And with a wave of his hand to Mr. Swift and the housekeeper, who stood in the door to see him off, Tom jumped into the saddle, started the machine, and then, after sufficient momentum had been attained, he turned on the gasoline and set the spark lever. With rattles and bangs, which were quickly subdued by the muffler, the machine gathered speed. Tom was off to Albany. End of chapter 10